0: Women Taking the Lead, episode 91.
1: But, you know, intuitively, I think people know a lot about themselves when they're younger and they just don't know how it's all going to be manifested yet. So trust your instincts as a younger person.
0: Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to get the solutions to your top five leadership challenges. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Amber Lamke, who is the president of the Somerset Gristmill LLC and its Maine Grains label, carried by specialty food stores and used by fine restaurants and bakeries throughout the Northeast. She's also the executive director of the Maine Grain Alliance, a driving force behind Maine's sustainable foods movement. Amber has worked with local business leaders and community members to successfully bring the cultivation and processing of heritage grains back to Skowigan, Maine. Her efforts through the Maine Grain Alliance have generated a broader understanding and appreciation of the nutritional and economic value of heritage grains and oats, as well as their exceptional flavor. The Alliance's Needing Conference, co-founded by Amber, now draws thousands of attendees from throughout North America each year and has spawned similar conferences across the country. You are clearly an inspiration, Amber, (laughs) and that's just a little intro for everyone. So tell us more about you and your own beginnings. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. I'm um, delighted to be on
1: Women Taking the Lead today. Um, I did not always come from a field of grains. Uh, pe- people <laughs> often ask me if I was a farmer or or how I came to this. and and um, it, honestly, it's a very new field for me. I grew up in uh, coastal Maine, Brunswick, Maine, um, and I when I graduated, I went off to school for a degree in speech language pathology, And my master's degree is in communication disorders. Um, I moved back to the state of Maine to get my first job, and I was uh, practicing doing speech therapy with a wide range of clients when I married my husband, who uh, had already chosen Skowhegan, Maine in the center of the state as his home. And so when I moved here um, doing speech language pathology and started to raise a family, I just became more and more aware of the differences between life life on the coast of Maine and life in the center of rural Maine. So I started throwing my efforts and some volunteer time behind uh, an organization that was aiming to revitalize our downtown. And it was through that work that, as a volunteer, that I became um, involved with our local farmer's market and helping it to grow. And I became involved in sort of understanding the agricultural issues of my area. So I come to grains through volunteerism first and foremost. Um, and this conference that uh, you mentioned in the intro, the Needing Conference, started in 2007 and really was a group of, um, a grassroots group of us that wanted to explore what it would take to bring Maine's grain economy back alive. We actually used to grow a lot of grains in this part of the country and we lost it to an economy of scale. Um, Grains are a beneficial thing to be growing on farms for a whole host of reasons, both for food as well as animal feed, but also because it's a way of managing soils organically and managing weed growth uh, organically. So lots of good reasons to grow grains. And um, so I partnered with bakers that wanted to use local grains in their breads I partnered with some local experts here in my town who build wood-fired ovens for bakers. And together, we put our heads together in 2007 to figure out um, what this might take. And it was really out of that volunteer work that um, I came to see uh, both a need and an opportunity here in Central Maine, and that is that there was no more equipment and no more mills still in operation here in central Maine that would allow us to participate in Maine's resurgent grain economy. So the mill that I run now really um, was both an entrepreneurial opportunity, but also um, uh, meets a real need if we're going to bring grain production back to Maine.
0: My goodness. You know, you hear when you go to college, people say, like, you might not end up using your degree, but this was a complete pivot. (laughs) Like, You probably didn't even see this coming. But I love hearing stories of where people just followed a passion, they followed a mission, and they they wound up doing something re- truly, truly great. Yeah, right? yeah,
1: and I would add that, you know, while I am not uh, a practicing speech-language pathologist anymore, I use all of the skills that I studied at that time and practiced at that time in my current work, just in a different way. So I often tell people that, you know, a huge part of my prior career was the ability to um, engage in behavioral observation and mm. break down a task into its minute parts to get from point A to point Z. Um, And uh, when you're trying to make changes with um, um, difficult problems, whether it's speech or whether it's grains, you have to be able to celebrate every little step and every bit of progress that you make, um, so long as you're headed in the right direction. So I feel like I exercise a lot of those Um, things that I learned in my degree, um, just in different ways now.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like that training and those skills make you very adaptable. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I love that. And thank you for underscoring that, Amber, because I often say to people, look, if you change careers or you go in a different direction, there's no such thing as wasted time because you will bring your knowledge and your experiences into your new situation and they will actually be strengths. I do for you. Yes, I do believe that. That is great. Well, Amber, clearly you've had success in your current and former life (laughs) and definitely gained confidence. But take us back to a time when you were playing small. And these are the types of situations where sometimes we don't even realize we're playing small at the time. We just believe we're capable of a certain behavior or a certain number of things. And it's sometimes not until later that we look back and go, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I was so much better. I could have done so much more. Share with us the story and the lessons you've learned.
1: Well, thank you for that question. And the moment that I'm thinking about, um, you know, harkens back to this time uh, that I I mentioned earlier, kind of between 2005 and 2007, where I was beginning to do some volunteer work with this downtown organization called Main Street. And I, I was going to different conferences trying to learn how to be of help to my community and its revitalization. And, and you know, if, if you live in a community that has dilapidated buildings or empty buildings that you're trying to fill with new businesses um, or trying to uh, you know, re-enliven your town, you, you know that you want to get to know the developers that are going to help you rehabilitate those buildings and find the next tenants. And so, you know, my mindset was really for a number of years, it was in recruiting the right person who was going to come start a business or imagine a business for our vacant buildings here in Skowhegan. And I was never really thinking that that would be me. Uh, I I, I was in a recruitment mindset. And so even when this idea to start a grist mill uh, first came about, uh, honestly, my first thought was, how do we go meet someone in the milling industry who can be convinced to come replicate their efforts here in Skowhegan, Maine. And so um, I definitely had a had a shift in my thinking um, for a variety of reasons, but, but that was where I started. I was not thinking this would be me. Mm-hmm. The shift in my thinking really came when I got to a point where I realized that if I am going to be trying to understand something about milling and recruit a miller to Skowhegan, I need to know more. And ironically, there's only two places in the world that you can still formally learn anything about flour milling. Uh, That is at the International Grains Program at Kansas State University. Um, And there's also a program in Switzerland. And so I thought, well, in a a, a pretty significant leap, I decided I would go enroll in a week-long Introduction to Flour Milling course in Kansas. And when I got to Kansas, and I'm I'm in a class of 12. I was the only woman. Um, I was the only one there to be learning about stone ground milling, which is the traditional way of making flour. And I was the only one there who cared anything about organic grains. I realized that if, if this class of 12 people is a representative sample of people internationally that are interested in learning more about milling. And no one is here to address or care about the issues I care about. Well, then I guess I'm as good as anyone (laughs) when it comes to Mm -hmm. tackling this issue. You know, stone milling organically grown grains is and has been a dying art. And so, Uh, I came home from that experience with a very different frame of mind and started reaching out to local business leaders that I respected asking for their, um, opinions about whether they thought this, this could be possible. Could I be a part of putting together a mill in Skowhegan that buys grain from local farmers and, and sells it to, um, our region, you know, our region being Maine to New York city. And, um, And so anyway, I I had kind of a newfound confidence that uh, there aren't that many people out there doing it. And if if I'm hardworking and creative, I should be able to make this happen.
0: Yeah, that an experience like that is definitely going to bring to light the fact that if it's going to happen, it's probably going to be you. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. And honestly, you know, back to that class in Kansas, I remember asking, uh, there was, there was a fellow on staff in his 80s, and he sat in on some of the classes. And I remember asking him, well, he's the oldest one on staff uh, at at faculty in Kansas. And so I'll ask him, I'll, I'll have him point me in the direction of a book on stone milling in the library at the International Grains Program. And he couldn't. He said, I don't think we have anything like that. (laughs) So again, you know, just more um, fuel for building my confidence to tackle this project initially. Oh, that's
0: really so you were going to be the expert at the end of the day, right? (laughs) because nobody else was doing it. So that's right. (laughs) I love it. All right, amber now share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake up call. Take us back to that moment and share with us the steps that you took that led to your success.
1: A wake up call you know um you know to this point of uh leadership i guess is is my wake up call i've 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 had a career and even a childhood where I recognize that i I have leadership skills and I have worked to identify them and define them. But, um, you know, my real real wake up call in this project that I embarked on here in Skowhegan was recognizing the power of a project to unite people around a common cause. And um, just in short, what we did here in Skowhegan is we bought a historic Victorian county jailhouse that was vacated in 2009 of inmates. And we converted it to be the home of our new mill. And, huh. <laughs> and we did that because this building had, it is very sturdy, number one, but, um, but also that it had vertical height. It had a section of the building that had four stories for vertically integrating our equipment. Um, but not only that, the building had a commercial kitchen that had been operational and it would give us excess space to rent out as we embarked on this new business. And and I thought of that kind of as an insurance plan. Well, if this whole milling thing doesn't work out, well, then at least I own a piece of downtown real estate that I can rent. And it has a commercial kitchen. So anyway, um, the the purchase of this building, and when we started getting to work on its renovation, um, really unified the community in a way that uh, gave people hope. It turned... The tone of conversations around in this town, from being despairing to being uh, hopeful, we could see that not only was I taking a big risk to tackle this project, but um, my visibility in doing so was inspiring other risks in the community. And so, um, you know, that was a real, has been a real eye-opening experience for me to realize the the power of leadership to to impact the. Oh, the environment and others
0: for sure oh my goodness amber that that's exciting and that that really makes me want to underscore something as well is that oftentimes you know we relate to work right or our career and when i say we, I mean, the ambiguous we, right, <laughs> that it it's so hard, or it can be soul sucking. It's something we try to get away from, right? We're living for the weekends, we're living for the end of the day. But the reality is, and, and what your story points out, there's something worse, and there's not having work, mm-hmm. right? And there's not having industry. And when you bring industry to towns where, you know, industry had gone away, mm-hmm. Right. Who were that were flagging and they they were in you know, like you described that that they were headed towards a state of just despair. Mm-hmm. And you bring industry to that environment and hope comes back. That must have been incredibly invigorating. Yeah.
1: And, and has a catalytic effect that, you know, we are still seeing the the outcomes of an inspired population here. I think there's more and more happening. There's more work yet to do. But um, this was a, a powerful project that got things started here.
0: Mm, and I can only imagine what's going on there because when people get that renewed energy, they suddenly get creative yep. and excited and joyful and innovative. Yeah. And it's, it's probably not just the mill. It's probably all this other stuff is starting to like pop. Yeah,
1: You know, one of my mentors early on in this process it, uh, mentioned a book that I read called The Third Place. And the third place basically is talking about um, if your first place is your home and your second place is your work, the third places in our communities are these places where you come in contact with each other and have healthy conversations and um, you debate the, the current issues of the day. And these can be places where you buy things or you don't buy things, but historically they were places like the barbershop or the coffee shop or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever. Sometimes you have bocce ball courts or whatever in other countries, but, but in Ireland it'd be the pub. That's right. That's right. But, um, (laughs) but the point is where do people have those everyday conversations that bring them closer together as a community? And this project in this old jailhouse where we established a milling business, we established a farm to table cafe, we now house our community's farmers market that has about 20 different vendors, as well as um, a host of other businesses here, really became a third place. And so now there are reasons to gather here. And the more contact people have with each other, the more ideas are spurred, and the more positive action happens. So um so I recommend any of your listeners to, to grab a hold of that book at some point.
0: That sounds like a great book. And Amber, this is a great segue because now you're talking about community. And I'm thinking about, you know, you when you're a speech pathologist, and you're probably primarily working one-to-one with people. Mm-hmm. And now you're a community leader, right? So your leadership style is probably similar but has evolved a little bit. How would you describe your leadership style currently?
1: I would say that I am a leader that believes in leading by example. Um, I like to do it myself uh, to see what it takes for skills. I like to um, engage in a new task with my eyes wide open so that I can understand um, where are the other assets or, or who are the other people in this community that could do this job and they just don't know they can do it yet and then help bring more people to the tables. So I guess as long as I can remember, I know that I've, I, I like to lead by example um, and building capacity uh, around me. I, I would say that's one form of leadership.
0: Absolutely. And your story makes sense in retrospect uh-huh. with you saying that too now we look back at how did you get into milling mm-hmm. like that makes perfect sense like you wanted to you had to get your hands dirty you had to experience it you had to ask your questions you needed to know what was the deal right and by going to that one week course you kind of got the deal mm-hmm. you knew mm-hmm. you knew what it was up to and then you were diving in coming back and talking to people in the community okay what would this look like mm-hmm. If I were to do this, what would it take? And boom, and there you were. Oh, so cool. Yeah. And I mean, there are many things going on for you. But what would you say is the one thing you're working on right now that you're really excited about?
1: Well, we are at a stage in our business three years into um, our launch where we are recognizing the the increasing demand that is out there for particularly our oats. We make rolled oats in addition to stone ground flour. So one project we're working on right now is we have um, just ordered some new equipment from Germany that will allow us to scale up our oat production pretty significantly so that we can begin serving more schools, colleges, hospitals, institutions. Uh, You know, I think oats was, for me, uh, probably underestimated the potential to sell oats in the Northeast in our original business planning process. But um, it's a healthy food um, in these colder climates. People like to have their warm oatmeal for breakfast and their granola. And so um, we've seen an opportunity with oats and are excited to be expanding that line right now.
0: Love it, and Amber, I'm probably going to ask a, a silly question because there's probably people listening who are like, "You didn't know the sure. answer to this?" But sure. But when I ever, whenever I hear the term rolled oats, mm-hmm. I'm always curious. But there are never experts around, and now I'm talking to an expert. Okay, where does the rolled and rolled oats come from? Okay. What is that that's, pointing to? That's a great <laughs> question. So uh,
1: when oats are growing in the field, the oat itself is technically referred to as a groat. G-R-O-A-T, groat. And that is part of the seed head. That's the seed that would grow into a new plant. So when you harvest oats, you're harvesting these oat groats. You remove the chaff from the oats, and then you're taking that seed and you're sending it between steel rolls to flatten it. And so you are literally rolling those groats (laughs) to flatten them out, which is the flake that people are accustomed to seeing in their rolled oats or their
0: oatmeal. Interesting. I didn't know oats were flattened.
1: Yes, I thought they came that way. Yes. No, in fact, there's. you can also eat the groats whole. Uh, we have some customers that ask for them whole so that they can make things like risotto out of oat groats or like a pilaf. Uh,
0: oh, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Good stuff. See, something I learn every day. <laughs> All, right. All right, Amber, now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us, what is one practice that you have that makes you a better leader?
1: I would say that I am constantly keeping my own thoughts in check. I am keeping my self-talk in check. I, there's a lot we as leaders can do to make sure that we're saying the right things to ourselves uh, in order to be stronger.
0: Mm. Yeah, those those tricky voices in our head that say nasty things to mm-hmm. us all day. That is huge. And what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership other than the third place? Because we've got that one. Yeah, (laughs) You know, another uh,
1: favorite of mine goes back to uh, having read this in high school, but I would say The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, You know, it's a good core book for understanding basic good communication and conflict resolution skills.
0: Absolutely. And it's a classic because, you know, for how long it's been around, it's still incredibly effective. Like the lessons in that book don't change just because technology changes yes. or the economy shifts or anything like that. Yep, Love it. And Amber, what advice would you give your younger self? I would say uh, I would give the advice to my younger
1: self to to have trusted my instincts far earlier. Uh I went to school for a health profession, I minored in art, um, but somehow I always had this vision of myself in business and I never knew where that came from. Um, and now I'm, I'm in business. <laughs> so uh, I think, you know, intuitively, I think people know a lot about themselves um, when they're younger and they just don't know how it's all going to be manifested yet. So um, trust your instincts uh, as a younger person.
0: Mm, And for you, and your story was about following your passions, following your interests. Yes. Yep too, makes a big deal. Um, We often hear following the passions. And the reason why I changed that real quick is because I recently had a client of mine who is a millennial, Uh right? And she was saying, she's like, gosh, there's so much pressure on me (laughs) to like have a passion and follow our passion. That's the big thing with my generation. So now millennials are now feeling pressured to have passions. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So we kind of scaled it down together and we were like, well, what about just what interests you? Like what peaks your interest? And follow that and." pursue that and that was a big part of your story as well. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, and now share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Uh that thank you Jody.
1: There's so many. So um in thinking about answering this question of late, I am particularly taken by the words of Wendell Berry. And um, I was uh, so impressed by the address he gave when um, he was given an honor a couple of years ago. And the title of his speech was, It All Turns on Affection. And in that talk, if you were to look that up um, on the web, you could see the video of him giving this, I think it's at least an hour long presentation called It All Turns on Affection. But he's outlining kind of the course of his life and how he makes decisions and um, why he cares about the things he cares about. And for those who aren't familiar, Wendell Berry is a leading voice in uh, rural agriculture. He's a poet and writer. Um, he, is, uh, he has spoken out on many of the important issues of our time as it relates to agriculture. Um, but it all boils down to affection for him, which is that um, you need to have an affection for place and people and animals And you need to have an affection for um, hard work and um, the soil and all of the things that come together to make a life and to make a a successful and productive life. So I'm aware every day um, how the work that I do really is a reflection of um, uh, my care for the community and my care for the people who live here and my care for the kids that will carry on this community when I'm no longer here. So Um, I would say that's my my answer to the quote or mantra.
0: Mm, I love that. I'm going to find the video and I'm going to link it up with the quote for anyone who's interested. And I'm wildly curious right now about this so all right lastly amber what is the best way for this community to connect with you oh thank you people can find us at main grains
1: on facebook we also have a website www.maingrains.com where we have just launched a new online uh, platform for purchasing our grains
0: so i encourage people to check us out Oh, So cool. And uh, something I meant to mention earlier in the bio, the kneading conference, if anyone's curious about that, is spelled K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G, like kneading bread, which is very clever. Yes. Um, and that,
1: that is a conference that happens annually at the end of July in Maine. And you can get more information at NeedingConference.com.
0: Oh, my goodness. July in Maine. That is a great time of year to be here. It's gorgeous. So for those of you listening, you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com, or you can use the short link, which is womentl.com. And Amber, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us, especially about the rolled oats. (laughs) We are all better for having met you. Thanks, Jody. I appreciate the time. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Were you inspired to take some action today, but maybe don't know where to start? Or maybe you have so many great ideas, you can't decide where to focus your attention. Don't let stress or overwhelm stop you from having the career, the business, or the life you want to live. Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash coaching or use the short link womentl.com forward slash coaching to sign up for a consultation with me. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. So here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world.